The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. And we do have CEU codes for this meeting if you would like me to give the beginning code. Go ahead. All right. The beginning code is 90980. One more time. 90980. And there will be an ending code before you end. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, I apologize to people on the Zoom room. Um, It happens. Zoom has its quirks. We all know that. We're going to make that into an acronym. Okay. Um, Next on our panel, we welcome Chris Holloway from Polera Enterprises, and they have a booth in the exhibit hall. I believe it's number 32. Is that right? Anyway, anyway, you can hear them. So um, they have lots of information there. And I just want, we are going to have a Q&A at the end. Hopefully we'll have time to do that. Um, we're going to have a Q&A at the end. And I would ask that you keep whatever questions you have for general knowledge for everybody here rather than um, your personal situation, because you can talk to them at the booth about the, the local stuff. Anyway, so I'm happy to welcome Chris Holloway. Thank you, everyone. Good morning. So I want to just start by letting you know that there are actually two different types of audible crosswalk buttons that you may come across. Um, The first one is the one that we're all familiar with. We call the Accessible Pedestrian Signal, or APS. The second is an audible information device called an AID, um, AID. The differences between them is an APS is an audio tactile supplement to visual signals at signalized crossings, while an AID is an audio tactile supplement uh, for warning beacons or RRFBs in the road or in roadway lights, that sort of thing. The NA- an APS tells pedestrians when the walk phase begins, and an aid simply tells pedestrians when the warning lights are flashing, and that it is uh, not that it is time to cross, just that they are flashing. And so, what you might um, uh, what you might get whenever you touch an APS and you do the extended presses. When the walk signal comes on, the button will begin to vibrate, indicating that it's time to walk, but there will be no vibration and, and, and an aid. And that's because the APS is communicating to you that that walk signal is on, that you have the right of way to cross that intersection. But whenever you come across these mid-block crossings, those warning lights are simply telling drivers to slow down, that there is a, a pedestrian who wants to cross the roadway in the middle between two intersections. So it doesn't vibrate. Um, You may hear an additional uh, audible information that says wait to cross Broadway, wait at an APS, while at an aid, you're going to hear yellow lights are flashing. And it'll say that twice. You'll hear that message twice. Yellow lights are flashing. So now let's just kind of get into some of what the APS requirements are. And, you know, everyone here understands that Uh, What we're talking about is equal access for all, right? And this is a legal requirement. Um, But we have to communicate that legal requirement to the people who install these APSs for you uh, and operate them and maintain them so that they understand the significance of uh, the need that is out there. So there are a few different different types of things that that govern when we're going to have Uh, APS buttons. The first is the American with Disabilities Act. Um, And what we have to do is communicate to our local traffic engineering people, state traffic engineering people, that the ADA already states that any new or upgraded public access route shall be accessible. And that also includes accessible pedestrian signals. Um, There are some other, you know, federal regs and, and that sort of thing that also govern this, but the ADA is very, very important whenever it comes to this. Um, ADA compliance is a civil rights issue that's enforced by complaint. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. How do you make a complaint? How do you get your voice heard whenever you don't feel like people are listening to your request for APS installations? So we'll address that toward the end. But just know that these federal regulations are in, are in place and they have been used uh, for um, uh, legal and lawsuits 
against agencies who are denying your request for an APS. So you've got capability to get what you need. The other um, governing kind of group is called uh, is called the PROAG, which is Public Rights of Way Accessibility Guidelines. And you've probably heard all about PROAG. A lot of traffic engineers that we go and meet with have never heard of PROAG before. And so it's new to them. We have to educate them on what that means. The really encouraging thing is that PROAG is hopefully crossing our fingers soon to be law uh, just around the corner. So the U.S. Access Board, they are, of course, responsible for all accessible design um, and the development of all guidelines. They have a rule that was established in 2011 that we've been out communicating to all of the local traffic engineering people that this is something that you need to consider when you're doing new installations of traffic signals or pedestrian buttons, that sort of thing, to make sure that they are aware. Um, these cover the, the fact that you shall include accessible pedestrian signals and pedestrian push buttons at these new intersections. And that's not happening, right? You guys know that there are a lot of intersections that you go to, especially new intersections, that don't have this built-in feature for you. Um, and we're continuing to advocate on your behalf with traffic engineers and let them know that, that this is a requirement of PROACT. How many of you have run across um, trying to get across a, a location with a roundabout? Yeah, right? So those can be a challenge as well, um, but PROAG addresses those. And so anywhere there's a multi-lane um, crossing with a roundabout, there should be some type of aid device, right? Remember the difference between aid and APS, along with warning lights that help you get across those locations because they can be very, very difficult. Um, the really cool thing here that we are really pushing with our traffic engineers is that the FHWA's policy is to consider the U.S. Access Board's draft, the current PROAG draft that's not yet law, um, as recommended practice for new and reconstructed signals. So this is something they should be following, and you can remind them of that whenever you have your uh, your opportunity to speak with them. So MUTCD requirements. Um, the MUTCD stands for Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices, and this is a traffic engineer's Bible. They're going to follow this religiously, right? And there, it's it's an old document. We're currently working on a new document to bring it up to some new standards. But the old uh, document that it's out there, it it addresses APS, but it doesn't make them necessary. And so traffic engineers are stuck in this dilemma of. We've got the ADA and the U.S. Access Board's PROAG that's saying we should be doing these or we shall be doing these. And then we have our MUTCD over here that doesn't say shall. So it's a bit confusing for them on what they should be doing. So the, the MUTCD does not mandate the use of APS or aid, but it has guidelines and standards for when they are used. Yeah, that's pretty clear. Okay, so what is an accessible pedestrian signal or APS? Um, Generally speaking, and there are three different manufacturers out there that are manufacturing these types of devices currently, um, it's, a, it's a button, right? And it is supposed to have a daylight visible latching LED. So those with um, some uh, uh, ability to see will be able to see that LED and know that someone has pressed a button or they've pressed the button and uh, that light is latched, making that request for uh, the, the walk signal to cross the street. It should also have a high visual contrast vibral tactile arrow that should be on or immediately adjacent to the button. And the way that all three of us have interpreted this is that it should be on the front of the button, easy for you to find. And I do believe that that is how the O&Ms are uh, training you on how to utilize this type of technology out there in the field. Um, it should have an integrated speaker for audible tones and messages, and it should provide speech and percussive audible walk indications. And those walk indications should be adjusted uh, based upon ambient noise that's out in the field. So you hear that locate tone, you find the button, you press the button, it provides you information to wait. And then whenever the walk signal comes on, it provides you that direction uh, that the walk signal is up. And all of that information should be adjusting based upon traffic noise that's out there. So it shouldn't be too difficult for you to hear if they're programmed and operating correctly. 
So our locate tone is simply a beeping tone. Uh, it plays once per second. You should be able to hear this within six to 12 feet of the push button station. Um, if if uh, you've walked around the show, um, as Becky had indicated earlier, you've probably heard our locate tone. We have them turned up much louder than six to 12 feet, just so you guys can find us. Come by and say hello. Um, <laughs> we also have a vibral tactile arrow in the push button that when you push it, it says wait. Uh, and the arrow on there is very important. Whenever they install those, that arrow is also there to provide you orientation into the crosswalk, to guide you into the crosswalk. That's not always the case. Sometimes these buttons are not in locations where um, that works very well, but the standard is that that's how it should be installed for you. We have an extended push. So if you push the button for greater than one second, uh, the button will provide additional information that the, the general public is not receiving. And that information will tell you like what street crossing that you are located at. It can also do some additional things like audible beaconing. It can mute all the other buttons in the intersection so that you're only hearing the button that's near you and the button that you wanna cross over on the other side of the street. And then providing that information to say, wait to cross your street at my street traveling Northeast, right? When the walk indication comes on, the button will begin to vibrate uh, and you will receive one of two types of audible indications. You'll either get that speech message that says Broadway or your street, walk sign is on to cross your street, or you'll hear a rapid tick or percussive tone. It kind of sounds like this. Now, don't make fun of me. Right? You've heard that before. So remember I said earlier that always that arrow, whenever you're feeling that it should be guiding you into the crosswalk. Um, what this comes down to is a lot of times it's where those pedestrian poles are located and where they place those buttons in the intersection. So some of these older intersections that don't necessarily meet a lot of the ADA requirements, um, buttons are probably not going to be in the exact area to guide you properly across that roadway. But if they are, then we have this, what they call a 10 foot audible rule. And in that rule, it says, if buttons are closer than 10 feet apart, and those are generally the older style, then you should receive that audible message that says, or that speech message that would tell you uh, Broadway, walk sign is on to cross Broadway. But if the buttons are further than 10 feet apart, crossing uh, different sides of the street, then what you're going to get is that rapid percussive sound that sounds like that noise that I just made. All right, pedestrian clearance. Um, in a pedestrian clearance, and this is where it might get confusing, and I'm, I'm open here to taking questions whenever we're done. If anyone has questions about that, or uh, please do stop by our booth, uh, booth number 32. Uh, our pedestrian clearance, the button will stop vibrating, and the audible message will change, right? And so the way that it can change is it could go back to a locate tone. So that same tone that you heard to find the button, except it should be at a, a louder volume because you're following that across the roadway. It should be providing some level of guidance to find the button on the other side of the road. Um, or we can also provide what we call an audible countdown. So for those who are sighted pedestrians, whenever they're crossing the street uh, at a number of intersections these days, they have a flashing hand and then they have the man and then they also have numerals. And those numerals will indicate how much longer they have to cross the street. So if you want to if you want to know that information and it's not available to you, you can make the request to have them turn that feature on um, or, again, stop by our booth and I'll tell you about a different way that you can accomplish that. OK, so what are some other locations that we need to we need to be concerned with? If there are any median mounted pedestrian signals, it's good that APS should be in those. So what you might run across is not just a. Uh, a button on the other side of the street, you, there may be a button in the middle of the roadway as well, right? So as you cross, there's one in the median, and then there's the one on the far side of the street. Um, that is actually something that is recommended in uh, in the MUTCD. Uh, also, as Chris indicated earlier, signals with LPIs. This is something we're pushing really, really, really hard with our local traffic engineering people is that even if they're not going to put APS in for you um, at at all their locations, which they should, uh, then at least at a minimum, please put them in where you're utilizing these LPIs because that is very, very, very dangerous. Um, and so we're addressing that with them. 
Also, pedestrian hybrid beacons. I don't know how many of you have run across those. Um, they're also called hawk signals. So this is another type of signal where you will have um, a walk indication and the traffic light is not a normal operating traffic light. It flashes yellow whenever the button is pressed and then flashes red and then it gives a solid red indicating to traffic they must stop. You'll get a walk signal and so the buttons will sound exactly the same as if you're in a, a, a signalized intersection. And these again are at mid-block crossings. Um, Another thing that you may run across, I really haven't seen too many of these yet, but we also should have those aids, that information that's going to provide guidance to you. If you're walking down the sidewalk and you get to where uh, the sidewalk has been closed for construction, well, how are you supposed to know that there's a way to go around that if you're not getting some level of communication letting you know that? So aid is another um, uh, usage for our technology where, where you have these sidewalk uh, closed signs. Um, our RFBs, we've already mentioned those, pedestrian activated warning beacons and in roadway light warning lights. Finally, the key thing here that I want to communicate to you guys is please advocate for yourself. You are your best advocate, right? And they will listen to you. So advocate for yourself. Step one in that is go to our polera.com or visit our booth. And we actually have some letters that you can fill out or you can ask other people to fill out, send into your local traffic engineering people um, and make that request. So send that request letter, um, uh, send it to them and let them know that the name of the intersections that you need help at crossing uh, and they're supposed to respond, supposed to respond. Send the letter to your local traffic engineer or your city accessibilities coordinator, right? Step three is follow up. They're probably not going to address this right off the bat. So don't give up, follow up. Sometimes your requests are lost or worse, they're just not given their proper attention. So if you've not received an answer within four weeks, send a second letter to them with the same information. Make that request again. If you do not receive an answer after your second attempt, send your letter to your mayor or your city slash county council commission people um, directly. Now we're getting on to the political side, right? We've tried to do the right thing, the nice thing. Now we're going to go over their heads. We're going to send it to the mayor and, and those people and say, hey, I really need this. This is something that will provide a safe crossing for me, and it's important. Um, step four, if that doesn't work, please call Polera. Sometimes what you need is a friend advocating for you on your behalf, and we would love to do that. So please reach out to us. Um, if you're not getting you know, the results that you feel like you should get on your request, we actually know people and maybe we can go in there and massage things a little bit and ask very nicely and, and, and maybe they'll do something. But if they don't, the final step is we bring in the big guns. So that's where you contact your state FHWA or Federal Highway Agency ADA coordinator and make them aware that you cannot get um, uh, uh, any assistance at the local level or state level with putting these things in. And if that still doesn't work, you can also contact the Department of Justice. Um, there's a link uh, that I provided here in, in this. You can go to their website. Uh, it's www.ada.gov slash file hyphen a hyphen complaint, right? And so you go to that site and let them know, and I guarantee you things will start rolling. Um, but that's the best thing that you can do. Advocate for yourself. If you don't feel like it's working out for you, please reach out to someone who can help. Um, uh, Polera is one of those. I'm sure there's some other companies uh, that would, would love to um, advocate on your behalf, uh, bring other people involved. But this is something that you deserve. It's your right, and you ought to have it. And that's it. So, Chris, a quick question. Um, is the sample letter... letter that you're talking about available electronically from your website? Can people fill it out uh, digitally? Yes. And it is on the website? Yes. Okay, good. That's good to know. Yeah. So. And if, and again, if you come by our booth, you can find it on our website. If you come by our booth, we've got a QR code and it'll, it'll download it right to your phone. You can save it on your phone, email it to yourself, email it to others to send on your behalf. Um, there's certainly that, that capability. Okay. And the other question I wanted to ask is, um, is there a way to ensure that the people installing the um, APS are working with a company that is following the MUTCD recommendations? 
or guidelines? Uh, let's see. How do I you knew I was going to do that? Yeah, I knew you were going to do that. So I, I will just say that there are so there are three companies, as I mentioned, you have um, you've got the ADA, right? That kind of talks about what an APS is. Then you get into um, the MUTCD that defines what that that APS should look like and how it should operate. Um, there are some other companies coming over from the European market where they don't have as stringent of standards and they're trying to promote their technology. That technology is typically a lot less expensive. And so traffic engineering people go, aha, all I have to do in order to be compliant is put some of this stuff in. And the, But the problem with it is, remember we talked about you've got that raised arrow that's on front that you can find. It's not, you can't find it very easily. They hide it in places on the side, underneath, all sorts of locations. So it's very important. And we're pushing really strongly to make sure that um, these traffic engineering people are installing the correct type of APS. Again, it's not just ours. There's three manufacturers in the United States that follow those guidelines. Okay, great, Chris. Thank you. I just wanted to be sure to address that because it has has come up recently. And uh, we have actually made some um, outreach to that those companies about it. So anyway, great. Thank you so much. We will do questions after after we hear from our next two presenters to talk about um, what's going on and what's what's successful. So first of all, um, I hope Ms. Karen Gorgie is there on Zoom. Are you up there? I am up here. All righty then. Well, Karen Gorgie um, is in New York City. She is one of the founders of the Pedestrians for Accessible and Safe Streets or PASS Coalition uh, in New York City, which has, had, has made, along with ACB of New York, has made some incredible strides in fighting for APS in New York City. And rather than my taking up Karen's time giving you <laughs> on it, I'm going to let Karen have her time. So welcome, Karen Gorgie. Thank you very much, Becky, and thank you, Chris. That was fabulous. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, I've been a member for, of ACB for uh, a good long time. I can't, I can't even, I don't think I can remember the year. Um, maybe sometime in the 80s. Okay, so um, I've been, I've been used to uh, advocating at the level of, you know, being a, being a part of a group like ACB and ACB especially. And I've done a fair amount of it in, in different, uh, spheres. Some of it had to do with subway platforms, which were a big danger, you know, to us and still are, but at least there's a good solution now. So, um, but it's just to say, there's always things that come up that need, um, our, uh, help to be, to be really installed, you know, to be, to be actually implemented so that people can be helped by, you know, the presence of an APS or of a, a detectable warning at the edge of a platform. So um, I've been doing that. And in uh, 2010, and I'll try to do this quickly, Becky, so you can warn me, like when we have two minutes, maybe or something. Um, in 2010, when all the, the, the countdowns that uh, Chris was mentioning before uh, became available so that you could tell how many seconds you had um, left if they, were, if they were accessible to you, people from ACB and even people from NFB made the point to each other and with each other that this is crazy. This is we're getting nothing here, and there's too much going on, and we need some support and some help too. So actually, uh, a little miracle of miracles happened, which is that the the two groups, um, ACB and NFB, one one dark night in New York City. No, um, anyway, we uh, we made a meeting. We created. We had an impromptu meeting. And we talked about what the situation was going on with the traffic in New York City and the people um, th who were being harmed by it rather than, than supported or helped by it, which is 
pretty much us, you know, people who are totally blind, people who are blind and low vision, and people who are um, blind with significant um, hearing impairment. So we decided that in this instance, it would be really good for us um, to combine forces so that we could try to alert um, the traffic engineers, yes, but the political people in, in our city, um, at the level of the mayor and uh, people on the city council and that, that level of person who just, many of whom, let's say, did not have the understanding of what an APS is and, and why it is so critical to us. So that was our first move. And uh, slowly we came together and began to form a little bit of a structure. And, and we called it PASS, which is Pedestrians for Accessible and Safe Streets, because that's the goal, right? To be able to get across the street and safely and accessibly. So that became the name uh, starting then in 2010. And uh, eventually we were able to get a meeting with people from the mayor's office and um, people from Department of Transportation. And um, we did write eventually to these groups because we didn't feel as though we were being heard. We weren't sure that the message was clear and the importance of it. So we did that. So on the one hand, we were becoming um, an advocacy organization uh, as, as using our combined forces to do that. The other thing we were trying to do as, as PASS um, was to build better relationships with the city with um, the traffic engineers and with some people who we haven't mentioned yet this morning, um, but with O&M instructors, because we know that instructors who teach uh, orientation and mobility, um, many of whom, many of them are very, very qualified and very, very understanding of what the importance of APS is. And so we wanted to try to get the chance to see whether we could begin to become a team along with the O&M instructors. And that has in fact been what has happened slowly. Everything is slower than you want, but we all know that. That's like a universal thing. Um, but so that's what we did. We, we, we worked together. And uh, one of the things that was good was that um, people were able, us, us people, sorry, but, you know, um, people who were former O&M students, but who hadn't been back in a while. And now these here, these um, APSs are new and, and, and people need to know things. So the, you, with this, you had a possibility of asking questions to people who are uh, O&M instructors who could really tell you, who could really help you, um, help us, I should say, uh, understand exactly what was going on at a given intersection because they are, and as we began to find out, and as we still find out, um, many of them have funny shapes and many of them have characteristics that some others don't have. So to have an O&M person available really to help us get a head start on what these things are, exactly how they work, was a huge, huge thing. And um, then we were able to, if we had some people who were um, O&M people who did want to work with us, that was a fabulous thing because um, not only were they able to help train those of us who needed that, um, you know, I'm talking about, again, blind and low vision folk, um, uh, but um, they also sometimes were in a position where they uh, helped others to understand what was going on in these um, in these. Uh, APS situations, just a little bit like Chris was explaining to people beforehand, but you know, in our in 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 his um, great um, presentation. But 
For example, we were lucky enough a couple of years back to get the Commissioner of Transportation and other a couple of other folks from the Transportation Committee for the City of New York to come and meet us so that we could actually show them what these things were like. And so what these things being um, accessible pedestrian signals, APS. Um, so what we were able to do is have uh, a couple of orientation and mobility instructors with us so that um, they could work with the the political pros, you know, the political higher ups, the the commissioner of transportation, he actually came, and uh, and and a couple of other folks as well, to show them how this all worked, and then uh, if they could, if 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 the O and M folks could get the the uh, commissioner and the other folks to be a little bit brave, then we would have the 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 political people take the arm of the O&Mer so that they could get a sense of crossing the street and what it's like to have that, um, to have that kind of uh, uh, information given to you in a, in a different way, you know, not by, not by so much by the, the, um, the regular signal, but by the, by the rapid tick, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this was a this was why we've come to think and and still do and we a lot of us in in the city do this that that you can become a team again with your O&M instructor um and then then you can work again as a team you can work together to push the situation to make the situation clear to more people and there are lots of ways to do that as we know um and i'm sure you've heard about a bunch of them but our our idea our goal was to just begin to get more people in our field if you will more people with an interest in blindness low vision safety and travel and full accessibility to work with us so that then the um the whole idea that Chris is pushing for, which is absolutely, absolutely right, to to um, implement these these uh, accessible pedestrian signals has a much better chance of actually happening. So, I think given the time, I was going to do other things, but I think given the time. I'll stop now and I'll see if there are any questions that anybody would like to ask me, Betty or Becky or Chris or anybody else. And um, we'll leave it at that so we can keep moving. Thank you very much. Karen, could you give us a little bit of a progress report on the what's currently happening in terms of installation in New York City? Happy to do that. So um, in New York City, there are, uh, you still hear me fine, right? Okay, I'm assuming yes, because nobody said no. There are 14,000 intersections. <laughs> and so we are working on that. And we are around, we're around uh, a couple thousand right now. Um, and we have, of course, many, many more to go. Uh, but it is coming. It's coming. And uh, so, it, and it's the, our, um, our traffic engineers have been quite fabulous in terms of uh, working with us and working on these um, situations. So uh, us being able to work with them and uh, and, and with, uh, we're lucky that we work with Polara. That's, that's a fabulous bit of luck for us. And, uh, you know, so we're very happy to be working with that. So that's about where we are. And as I told you, there's 14,000 um, in the city. So it's going to take a little while. Um, I also want to say that when you talk about teams or when you talk about people working together, uh, one thing we have uh, that we're lucky for is we have, um, and this was right in the court mandate, we have an advisory committee to the project. 
So, and a couple of us from past are on that advisory committee, and so are uh, uh, a couple of O&M instructors. Um, so that's very, very helpful. And one of the things that we found out, I will just say this quickly, but it's very important how these committee, the, an advisory committee, for example, can be helpful. We became aware because some of our O&M folks would actually drive around and check out a little bit new ins installations, and some of them were not properly done. That's all there is to it. And um, so the information was um, brought to uh, our, our, our the city's traffic engineers, etc., and they were very careful to uh, to give additional information to those other um, uh, folks that that we had been hoping to work with. And when things still did not get any better, when there was no significant change in that situation, I'm pleased to tell you that those guys are not working for us anymore. So this is the, this is the thing about a, a team. When the traffic engineers get to know some of the O&M people and some of us who are uh, users and the advisory group, you see people really actually taking action. And we have been very, uh, I would say, very blessed to have some of that happening for us. And we, we just try to encourage as, as conscientious as we can all be um, uh, to, to, make, to make this happen. So that's, we're, we're quite pleased with um, the way things are going. They take time. We know that, um, but uh, it is happening. It's becoming a reality, which as um, many of us can say in, as New Yorkers, people who have lived here for good grief. Well, I mean, I, you know, I've lived here myself. I've lived here for probably um, like 60 years, but you know, it's changing. It's becoming something that's more possible for us. So this is a pretty grand situation to be working on. It is work. It doesn't happen in a day, as you obviously know, um, but it is worth the wait and it is worth the once, as, as Chris was saying, once you um, make a complaint or you tell your, uh, your folks, whoever it be that you're communicating with, that this is important for you and why, don't give up. Don't drop it. It's worth your time. It's worth what we can do to turn our streetscape, if you will, into something that will really work for us and really help for us. So thanks. Any more questions? Um, oh. Actually, Chris Bell. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Chris Bell. So, uh, of course, New York, in addition to the excellent advocacy, it's also an example of one other thing, which is sometimes you just have to sue the bastards. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, so when, when all that good advocacy by the past group didn't produce a, enough results, uh, right. they went to the disability rights advocates who filed suit uh, yep. against the city of New York under the Americans with Disabilities Act and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. And in 1920, I mean, not 1920, geez, in 2020, in, in 2020, the federal court in the Southern District of New York, yeah, I know, really, it issued an order saying that the city of New York had violated the ADA in Section 504 for failing to make their uh, pedestrian signalized intersections accessible. So that was a significant legal victory then. But that's not the that's not the end of the story, because then the court had to figure out, OK, uh, y'all won the case. But what's what are we going to do? What's the remedy? So they held a hearing. And uh, in the end of 2022, in December 27, the court issued a final order requiring the city to install about 9,000 accessible pedestrian signals a year. Yep. So they had 70% uh, 
of all pedestrian signalized intersections accessible in 10 years. And in 15 years, they had to have every darn one of them made accessible. And Chris, if I can just make sure I say, um, in case people were not aware, the people who brought that suit and who really stood up and and uh, advocated in the court of law was ACB, ACB of New York State. Oh, that's right. The, the state affiliate. Yep. Yep. And uh, with with help from ACB chapters in the city and. The other thing is that when uh, once this was really going on and the city was making all kinds of proposals of how to do this in a simpler way and they were going to have zones put up where um, accessible pedestrian signals could be and only there and et cetera, et cetera. Lots of, excuse me, but a little bit crazy ideas. Um, all of the advocates, the, the NFB, the ACB, the past people wrote letters to the judge and said exactly and clearly why these things would not work. And that was all part of coming to the decision to, to get the judge to finally to do the right thing. And we have Owen Evers involved in it too. So that's what I think the team and the persistence and of course the right information um, are just crucial. So thanks Chris a lot because that was moronic that I didn't say that, <laughs> but you said it better. All right, thank you so much, Karen and Chris. And we have, we have, we have our fourth panelist who is familiar to Illinois for certain and for to all of us, he's the interim first vice president of ACB right now. And he is involved in uh, advocacy in the state of Illinois in general and the city of Chicago in particular. So I'm going to hand this mic back over to Ray Campbell. Hey. Good, good morning, ACB, and especially all of you here and those of you listening out in Zoom and ACB Media World. We are to celebrate a victory. Yes. So let, let me be as brief as I can, but kind of give you some history. First, though, I want to salute the people that joined me in this litigation. Um, Ann Brash and Maureen Hennigan as individual plaintiffs, along with the American Council of the Blind and Metropolitan Chicago. So my memory is, according to best my memory can recollect, probably since, oh, 2008, we have had discussions with the city of Chicago <laughs> About installing accessible pedestrian signals. Um, I can remember attending meetings at the Chicago Lighthouse back around 2008. I seem to recall there was this plan that they had. Well, we're going to equip 40 intersections a year, and uh, and and that's or we had 40 intersections that we're going to put in signals. Well, it's not all of them. There's like 2,600 intersections or something like that in Chicago, and. So we had started having uh, discussions and there was a lot of advocacy and some of it not specifically around accessible pedestrian signals, but around them with other things. Um, for example, I can remember one meeting that I attended where we actually had people from ACB and NFB. They were talking about some start putting in uh, when they were going to put in floating bus stops and uh, a few other things with queue jumping for buses and things like that. And both groups said, representatives from both groups said, we got to have accessible pedestrian signals. And so it was both groups. And like Karen said, um, and I, I, I find this to be the case too. I think NFB is kind of moderating their stance a little bit on accessible signals they have over the years. I can tell you that through all of our work up to the and through the litigation that I'm going to talk about, that uh, we haven't had any opposition from NFB. In fact, mm -hmm. there were times that people would be wanting to ask about it, media people and such. They would call NFB people, and then I'd get the calls. Well, they're calling us about this. So, um, but okay, but be that as it may. So, um, we uh, we learned from our friends in New York City and the work that they had done, um, and. Uh, Finally, to make a very long story short, we um, probably late 2019, 
is when we really started talking seriously about litigation. Um, and uh, we, we worked with disability rights advocates as well. Uh, Yelena Kalik and, and, and Christina Brent Young, who was there at the time uh, in, in particular, and uh, started to have discussions with them about seriously contemplating some litigation. Um, we had done, as I said, a number of advocacy, letter writing, having meetings with people such as the mayor's office for people with disabilities and uh, others and you know, folks from the city's Department of Transportation. In fact, one of the things we found out through discovery is they actually had money in the budget to install accessible signals for years and never had done it. Wow. So in late 2019, we... Uh, filed suit against the city of Chicago, the three individual plaintiffs, uh, along with the American Council of the Blind and Metropolitan Chicago, and uh, started down the road of litigation. As Karen said, things move kind of slowly. <laughs> um, the other thing, of course, that happened in our case was a little thing called a pandemic happened. And so that kind of slowed things down a little bit, I think, too. So we... Um, we, we, we filed suit um, and kind of started working our way through the court process. In the early part of 2021, we went through depositions. And with all due respect to people like my friend Chris Bell and other attorneys up here, I don't know what is worse, going to the dentist or going through a deposition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Chris's deposition, I think I kind of agree with that. I'll tell you, I had to have a couple of Miller lights after that one. Uh, but anyway, uh, so... But we went through that whole process and the whole process of discovery. Um, and one of the things, folks, if you get to the point of litigation, and I have to tell you, it's going to get frustrating because you're not going to hear stuff for a while. Time is going to go by and you're not going to hear things. And uh, it's just going to be, uh, you know, not a lot, not a lot's happening. You contact the attorneys there saying, well, we don't know anything either. And, you know, it's, but under know that the process is working the other thing significant thing that happened and i think this was in 2021 was the u.s department of justice took an interest in our case and actually entered as a uh, um a plaintiff on that because they understood they they basically assessed it and said hey yes chicago is violating the americans with disabilities act um and so we uh went through all of our depositions and everything like that and uh kind of you know went through this whole discovery process and all of those kinds of things and this just this past march 31st i believe we got the the news we'd been waiting for that yes the chicago city of chicago was violating the americans disabilities act by not installing accessible pedestrian signals and as part of that not providing effective communication to people who are blind or visually impaired at its signalized intersections. And yes. <laughs> so that was certainly something to, uh, to celebrate. Um, so th that's been fairly recently. So not much has happened. Um, one of the uh, things that has happened in Chicago is we've had a new, we had a new mayor elected. So we don't know what that administration is going to do. We certainly are hoping they don't try to appeal it. But um, so we've got the we've got the victory. Now it's kind of like uh, Chris said, OK, now we're now what do we do? Um, <laughs> we have to wait. Becky says so um, we uh, we are looking at the next step, I think, is to negotiate a remediation plan. Again, this is not going to happen overnight as much as we would like it to. <laughs> but um, we are going for a remediation plan. And I thanks to attending some of these presentations and preparing for this, that um, uh, we know to make sure to ask for the standards, um, the MTUTCD standard signals, so that we don't get things that uh, aren't standard. And, um, you know, we're, we'll see where that goes. We'll certainly keep ACB posted. But this is a great victory. And I think a couple things it says, a couple, one thing it says, is like Chris said, sometimes you just got to sue the, the bastards. <laughs> I don't know if we can say that over ACB media, but I just did. <laughs> so that's one thing. Um, but I really think that what has also happened here too is that uh, we've had, 
you reach out and use the resources that are available to you. We work with the people like the Janet Barlows and the uh, Bensons of the world. And we worked with all those folks to, to get the information because you go in, once you go to court, you got to be credible and you got to really show that this is something, yes, we're all very passionate. We know it's dangerous out there, but you got to be able to show it and get a judge to say, yes, this is a, a violation yep. of the law yep. and we need to move it forward. So um, I'm just going to say, let me finish real quick, Chris. The other thing, the last thing I'll say too is, I think we can, we in ACB can use victories like this against big cities like New York and Chicago to send the message across the country and in our states that no longer can, will we tolerate having our rights violated to be as safe as we want to be crossing streets. And I, we can already see that happening. I think in the city of Springfield where I live, we, they are doing a big modernization project downtown. We're watching them but we have been told they're going to install accessible pedestrian signals. We will be watching, but that's what we're told. Chris, you want to add something real quick? Yeah, I'm sorry, Ray. Um, uh, two quick things. Here you go. Oh. You better get a mic. Two quick things. Uh, one is that this was a class action that was certified by the court. And secondly, this is the first time I know that the United States of America took the position that denial of accessible pedestrian signals was a violation of, of the ADA. That's a big deal. And also the Department of Justice sought and was granted a right to get damages from the city of Chicago. And that's a big deal. So I just want to add those two things. Thanks. Appreciate that. All right. Thank you, all of my panelists. We don't have a lot of time left for questions, but since people here in the room have access to um, Polera and in the exhibit hall. I'm going to see if there's anybody on Zoom or Clubhouse that has a question. If you want to raise your hand, anybody, uh, Zoom host? You do have a hand. Okay. Doreen, you may unmute. Hi. So my name is Doreen Cornwell and I live in Seattle. And we are lucky in a couple of ways because we have a really motivated uh, campaign partly run by Disability Rights Washington about week without driving, um, getting policymakers to engage about all kinds of transportation issues. And there's also already been a lawsuit about ADA compliance, um, hashtag crappy curb, if anybody, it, it was several years ago. So the city is, um, I, I would not say progress is rapid, but they have a plan. And one of the things that's happening right now is um, advocacy to very explicitly include um, pedestrian improvements in, but there's another, there's a city levy, levy coming up. Um, and it is absolutely true that the city has obligations under ADA, but the um, put it in the levy is also kind of uh, like, let's make it explicit and get out there but one so one of the issues for us has been well there's already been a lawsuit and in fact what the washington council of the blind is more interested in doing right now is um advocacy in smaller places both right in the puget sound area where some jurisdictions actually do things right and in rural areas where oh my gosh, maybe it's the city government that has jurisdiction. In a few cases, it's Washington Department of Transportation. And so I wonder if any of the panelists have thoughts about how to approach a template case or um, what to do to make it, to, to make it seem doable for a local, not, it's not just doable, it's clearly necessary, but local jurisdictions find lots of ways to stall. So I am totally looking for suggestions and I really thank everybody for putting this panel together. Oh. Doreen, I'll just real within 30 seconds say that I think there's a number of ways to do it, but I think one thing that we all ought to be doing is there's a lot of interest now in carbon, reducing carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. 
all the climate stuff going on. We can use that, I think, to say, yes, and if you make the intersection safer so we can walk and cross streets, then we don't have to have diesel-powered paratransit vehicles picking us up and all that stuff because we can walk places. Anybody else want to add Okay. Yeah, uh, thanks for your excellent question, Doreen. So um, first of all, State Departments of Transportation uh, have a lot of jurisdiction, even over smaller areas, uh, depending on how things are structured. So I would certainly uh, try to get information from the state about uh, their obligations in these local towns. And I would certainly consider suing the state because, you know, that's what I like to do is sue people. Um, <laughs> but uh, but in, in addition, I think that, that once the, once cities realize that they can be sued because you just did sue the state, uh, they will be more interested. But I think a letter writing campaign, but write the letters, not just to transportation departments or public works department, send the letters to all the, the city commissioners and include the city attorney and the county attorney because they will get it even if the engineers don't. Okay, I think we're about it's about time for us to wrap up is that correct zoom yeah you've got about two minutes and would you like me to give the ending code ma'am why don't you do that because i don't want to get it unfortunately <laughs> all right the ending ceu code is six nine seven eight six one more time six nine seven eight six Okay. And you have no hands in Zoom at this time. Okay. I know we had one question up here while Chris Holloway was presenting. Uh, I don't know how complicated it is. Do you, the person who was going to ask it was sitting up front here, I believe. Did you still have a question? No, I, I, there are no hands raised, but we are running like really close to the end of our time. So um, unless you think it would be of general interest to the hang whole group, we can hang out a little. Yeah, we can sit up here for a while too. Um, in case, but if you think it's of general interest to the group, go ahead. And rather than take time to run a mic, I will repeat the question. All right, thank you. I'm, I'm a certified orientation. Oh, it's Michael. And uh, I work with a lot of people. Yeah, you're her. No, that's a great question. Uh, you know, a lot of it comes down to education of the um, the local government agencies that are maintaining those devices. Um, there are occasions whenever the devices will will go bad for whatever reason, uh, lightning storms, that sort of thing, electrical uh, overloads, those sort of issues. And then that is one of the results is you'll either get a really loud message or a very low message. And that's an indication that they need to get out there and take care of that equipment and maintain it. Um, I think companies like Polara are developing the technology to be better monitored and managed by those local government agencies. Um, we currently, uh, I can speak for Polara, we currently have technology out there right now where local agencies tie into those devices um, through their intersection network, and they're able to monitor them. So when things like a speaker goes bad, um, either high or low, they get a notification so that someone can go out there and make those adjustments promptly. Oh, that's great. Uh, so that's a really, really important um, uh, thing that they implement out in those intersections. Uh, and then I would just say the other is the level of skill that these technical people have um, is it, it, it varies um, from agency to agency. And so a lot of them don't necessarily understand all of the different features that are available to them in order to maintain those, um, those volumes the way that they need to be. Uh, Polera, I can tell you, in the last year has hired a couple of what we call field application engineers, and their sole responsibility is to travel around to all of these local jurisdictions, educating these technicians on how to properly install and properly maintain these devices for you. Um, so that's our commitment to uh, to to yes and 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 how we need to make them these intersections safer for you. All right. So I would like to take this opportunity to thank Chris and Chris and Ray and Karen for excellent presentations. Um, I want you all to know, of course, those of you who are here in person can go to booth 32. Um, you can approach any one of us as well with questions. Uh, also, you can contact 
If you have questions, you can send them to community at acb.org or advocacy at acb.org, and they will come to the appropriate committee. The committees all have pages, uh, the Pedestrian Environment Access Committee. That's really hard to say. What's that about? Um, has uh, has a committee page on the web on the ACB website. Um, this will be podcasted as well. So uh, I want to thank our Zoom hosts and everybody who attended on Zoom. Thanks for the hard work all week long and before and after. So <laughs> hope you all have a great day, rest of the day and rest of the convention. And thank you for being here this morning.